We'll open your Bibles to Romans chapter 9. Romans chapter 9 as we continue this study on Sunday morning. As we started last week, uh, I made the point that uh, in this you know, first section of Romans, chapters 9 through 11, what you have is a very succinct section that is addressing the idea of the defense of God's sovereignty you know, to call and to save vessels of, uh, vessels of mercy through the gospel of Jesus Christ. That gospel has been presented already, you know, the core aspect of it, you know, what God has done, our need of it, and, and what our response of faith ought to be. And so now we have another section where it, it's you know, giving a defense for what God has done and made available to us. And so that's this sections in chapter you know, 9 through 11. Uh, and uh, as we continue, you know, we'll, you know, there are some, you know, we'll go back a little, sorry. Uh, here are some key verses from last week's study. If you think about it, the idea is, you know, one, it, it is not as though the word of God has failed, but they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. And so kind of some key thoughts where the idea of the gospel is for everybody. It's for Jews and Gentiles alike. You know, the same you know, method of justification is available to all people, but all people must come to it through faith. And so there is the defense trying to argue the point that, okay, God has been true to his word. And, you know, the Israel now is not simply something that is a, of a physical lineage. Uh, you go on in verse 8, he says, you know, it is not the children of flesh who are children of God, but children of promise are regarded as descendants. And in the text, it talks about the, the promises and God working things out through the son of Sarah and one son of Rebecca. And then verse 18 from last week. So then he has mercy on whom he desires and he hardens whom he desires as well. With that said, I want us very quickly you know, kind of touch on the last point in that section. We really didn't get you know, to talk a whole lot about it. You know, there in verses 14 through 18 of Romans chapter 9 where some things are brought up that were said to Moses, and then something is, is stated you know, in regard to Pharaoh of Egypt that relates to this point uh, how God has the sovereign right to show mercy on whom he desires to show mercy, and he has the sovereign right to harden those he desires to harden. And, uh, and so I think we just need to talk a little bit about that. You know, in this section, the really point is you know, God is not unfair. God is not unrighteous to reject or to justify all sinners the same way. You know, the Jews are, you know, you know not one to accept Christ. And you have the majority of them have rejected Jesus to be their Messiah. And so the gospel is making the point that what God has chosen, the means by which to save sinners, including sinful Jews and sinful Gentiles. And it is God that governs that mercy. It is God who administers that mercy in his way. And so he uses two texts to illustrate that. The first one is the one that is directed toward Moses. And you look there in verse 15. 
where he says, The Lord says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. That statement goes back. What you got these? You got Moses and Pharaoh. Obviously, their lives intersected. They uh, uh, were uh, connected in part of the events that occur in the book of Exodus. But these two texts are at two different times. And so, what he says in verse 15 is not this, at the same period of time that what what he says about uh, Pharaoh in verse 17. And we need to understand that, even though Moses and Pharaoh there cross path. But these two statements are stated by God at two different times. The first one there in verse 15 is in Exodus chapter 33. Exodus chapter 33. The occasion is they're at Mount Sinai. They're not in Egypt anymore. They're at Mount Sinai when this statement is made. It is after what terrible thing did Israel do at Mount Sinai? The golden calf. So it's after the event of the golden calf. God is angry. Moses is an intercessor and mediator for the nation. And in chapter 33 of Exodus, basically God initially says, you know, you're paraphrasing it in David Bunting's words. I'm done with these people. You know, you just you know, take, them to the, take them to the land. I promise I'm not going with you anymore. You know, that, that's basically what he's told Moses is... You go ahead and take them you know, to the land. I am not with you any longer. Well, that is, that is a bit uh, disconcerting to, to Moses. And so in the 33rd chapter of Exodus down in verse 12, you have a paragraph you know, where Moses is pleading with God basically to, you know, to please go with us. You know, if you're not going to go with us, you know, I, I don't want to leave this place. You know, if, you're, if I found favor with you, please, please go with us. Because if you're not coming with us, I'm not leaving. You know, I'm not taking these people basically to, you know, to, to this promised land without you with me. And you see that conversation in verses 12 through verse 19. And so... God then says in verse 14, he says, okay, I will go with you. My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. You know, and because that's when Moses said, well, if you're not going to go with me, I don't want to leave. And so, but so God reassured, okay, I've heard you. You found favor in my sight, Moses. I will go with you. Yeah, and it is at that point when God is reassuring him of his presence will be with the nation as they leave Mount Sinai, you know, he says in verse you know, uh, uh, 17, The Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing of which you have spoken, for you have found favor in my sight, and I have known you by name. And then Moses said, I pray, pray, show me your glory. And you recall, remember, he, God said, well, you can't see me face to face, you know, but I'll put you in this, you know, this, in this crevice and you'll, and I'll pass by and you'll, you know, you'll see me from behind. It is in that context that then God says, when he says, show me your glory, that God then says, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and I will show compassion in whom I will show compassion. There's our passage in Romans. 
And so I think it's, it's okay, here is God said, it's his right to decide how he shows his mercy. And he illustrates, remember the time when Mo, in Moses' day, you know, you know, he mediated for you as a people. Yes, I, I agreed to, yes, I will go with them. He wanted to see my glory. And God says, well, I will show you my goodness, but you're not going to see my, me face to face. But I will, I will demonstrate grace or mercy to you on whom I will or desire to do so. And the same thing with my compassion. This is to illustrate simply the idea that God has all these verses, these key verses. God has the right to choose how to govern and administer his mercy. And so when God says, I have chosen, according to my plan, my promises, to save sinners, to render mercy to sinners who believe in Christ, who believe in my only begotten Son, that is my right. I have the right and the power, the sovereign right, to administer how I will show mercy to anybody. It is then he goes back and says, and I want to illustrate another way. I want to illustrate it with Pharaoh. And so now you go back in time with the book of Exodus. And you go back, you know, here it, it, it is found in Exodus 9. In Exodus 9 is where this particular statement is made. God is speaking to Moses and this is during the period of the ten plagues. The plagues have already begun. And a number have already been poured out upon the people. It is then, this is right before the plague of hail, that, then, that, that God then speaks to Moses again. Okay, I want you to go to Pharaoh, verse 13. Get up early, stand before him, and this is what I want you to say to him. Let my people go so they may serve me. And, he, and he God, God goes on to say, For this time I will send all my plagues on you, your servants, your people, so that you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. He says, For if by now I had put forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would then have been cut off from the earth. He says, you know, he says Tell Pharaoh that you're lucky I haven't already cut you off. Now, as it doesn't say this, what does that imply? What does it imply? He says, If I, ha if I had poured out you know, other things, you wouldn't cut off. What does that imply about the character of God? What, do you, what is he showing here? Huh? Long suffering. God is suffering long with Egypt. And I think implication, some mercy too. But he goes on to say, if indeed for this reason I have allowed you, this is our quotation, for this, I have allowed you to remain in order to show you my power in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. And it's, it's that point that he says, okay, let me illustrate the sovereignty of God. Okay, let me tell you, you, you remember the story about Moses? Moses, after the golden calf and before going, continuing the journey, and what God says, how he would you know, reveal himself. He says, well, that relates to his sovereignty of mercy and compassion. Here he said, let me tell you about Pharaoh and, and what message I gave Pharaoh through Moses. And he's saying, and what I could have done to you, Egypt. But I suffered long with you, you know, because I wanted to show my power through you and proclaim the name in all the earth. I find it interesting. It is in this particular you know, you know, plague. Do you remember what happens when you know, this message is given to Pharaoh? 
and and basically, and that message is shared with the people. Remember how the people react to this this message, what God's about to do with the hail. What do what do some of the servants do? do what do some of how do some of the servants react they, about their? Right. And so those who believe the message, those who receive the message, now they've already experienced several plagues already. And so there, there are those among the people that are already persuaded and convicted of who this God is. And so when they hear about this idea, because he says, I'm about to send, the, you know, send this plague on you, but what you need to do, you need to, pull, you need to bring all your livestock in. You need to bring all your servants from the field. Do not leave anybody out there. And he says, and the servants who feared the word of the Lord, they listened and they reacted. And he says, and those that paid no regard to the word of the Lord left the servants and livestock in the field. And it is in this case where God says, I will harden those whom I will harden. Think about this. You know, Pharaoh already is a stubborn, rebellious heart. You know, and did, did God force Pharaoh to reject him? No, he did not. He did not force him to reject him. Did he force Pharaoh to say no you know, to all, you know, each time he gives a prayer. No, he did not. But what did God know about the heart of Pharaoh? What did he, what did he know about the heart of Pharaoh? He could use it. Huh? He could use it. He could use it. He knew what kind of heart it was, you know. And so he, let me say that. So did God know how Pharaoh would, re, would react? Did he, in his omniscience, did, could he, okay, I know his heart. You know, did he know what, you know, what, what Reaction, Pharaoh, did. and I believe that's the case here. Pharaoh's free will did exactly what God knew his free will would do. And what happens is God's demands, God's demonstration of this, these manifestations of power illustrate that you know, God stirred up a hard heart by you know, you know, a heart that was antagonistic already to God. And so, and so God is saying, I, I had every right, every right to be long-suffering with this, this, uh, this Pharaoh and this nation. And I had every right to show mercy along the way. But when the time came and I poured out fully all my wrath upon them, that was God's right. And so you think about the idea, you know, God chose throughout all of the events with Egypt and Pharaoh here, God was showing yeah, his mercy and his ability to harden through the free will of man. To use, as Tali says, to use a heart that is already hardened. Remember when, when Moses first came to, to Pharaoh and, he's, and Moses he says, okay, you know, you, know, you know, God says, let his people go. What was, you remember kind of one of the initial reactions of Pharaoh, what he said about God? Who is this God? Yeah. And so you know, he, he's not going to listen. Uh, Leanne, in the back, you're going to speak up. Let, let Dale you know, come to you. So, so what you have here is an illustration. These are two illustrations at two different times where God chose to, to act and react based upon the events that were unfolding. 
Leanne? That just goes to show you, God does show mercy to sinners. Um, he doesn't strike them from the earth or anything like that. He gives them mercy. He gives them time to repent. But sometimes your heart can be sealed so hardened that you just don't want to repent. And those people um, will experience the wrath of God. Now people say, there's no th nothing happened to me now. I have all this money, I have all this wealth, I have everything I want in life. Um, there's no there's no reason for me to believe in God. Or there's an afterlife. And in the afterlife, there is a real hell, and you do go there. And um, so, um, so uh, it's kind of like the rich man and Lazarus story. Um, it doesn't matter what you have here on earth. It matters what you have in eternity. And if you don't have God as your father in eternity, it does you no good to have any wealth on earth. Thank you very much. And so any, any final comments on just an idea uh, here, Mitch, on, the, on this last little section of the first half of chapter 9? Just the verse 16 and verse 18. Uh, verse 16 says, uh, So then it does not depend on the man who wills or the man who runs, but on God who has mercy. That verse in particular to me reminds me of Jonah, uh, mm -hmm. where another occasion where God chose uh, a Jew to go and speak to a, a Gentile nation for their repentance. Mm -hmm. And it didn't matter whether Jonah didn't want to do it or he didn't like it or he didn't agree with it. God is the one who decided whether they were going to get mercy or not. Right. Good, good example. Someone else? Anyone else? Yeah, Brother John over here? Say the, the uh, hardening of Pharaoh. He wasn't just messing with Pharaoh to, to have some fun. Right. There was no. a purpose behind all of that. Israel had a difficult journey ahead of them. And they needed to know they could put trust in the God that was taking mm -hmm. them through the wilderness. So he demonstrated his power for those purposes. So there, there's always a purpose and a reason behind what God. So he, if he's hardening the Pharaoh, he's not just playing with him. No. He's no. doing it for a reason. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's not, it's not just an arbitrary thing either, Alan, and then, and then Carrie in the back. Dale. All these examples he's giving as well, exactly what, we're, what you're what you've been telling us that making the case that God is sovereign, God has the right to decide what he will do on whom. But in these examples as well, he's really demonstrating to them that while God has the right to decide, this also isn't something new, that God's just changed his mind. And mm -hmm. yes, it's totally different, but he does have the right to change his mind. He's showing them in all these that he's still been doing this the same from the beginning. Mm -hmm. And that, that they may have misinterpreted being children of the flesh or that it was owed to them, and yet he gives the examples of what's it really mean to be a, a child of promise. Mm -hmm. And you, know, you look at Esau versus Jacob. Esau he thinks his birthright is worthless, and Jacob, mm -hmm. he wants it at any cost. And, and again, with showing mercy to those who listen to the word, even those in Egypt, that he has the right to do this, and it's always been this way as well. It's not something new. Good point. And Carrie. I was just going to make the comment that it's part of God's sovereignty. I, I don't want to overlook in verse 17 where God raises up Pharaoh. Mm -hmm. And so as part of God's sovereignty and God's purpose, long-term, whatever, we see this not only in Pharaoh but with Cyrus as well. Mm -hmm. God can put men in positions of power 
within government to achieve his overall long-term purpose. Mm -hmm. And I, we cannot forget God still reigns in the affairs of men. That's a good point to bring up. And like saying, and you see that in Isaiah, Isaiah making that point in, in most of the prophets, you know, that's so true that as the unfolding of these events, you know, even how God raises up servants, instruments for his glory. And, uh, and we're blessed to be able to have the story told and we can go back and like, wow, I can see that now. Any other final comments on like the first 18 verses? Well, let's move on. You're, we're still in the, really the same thought. You know, we kind of divided up the chapter, but you know, we move on into the rest of the half and just kind of continuing the same thought, just you know, get, uh, giving us some a summation of what these verses are about. This one emphasized the, the, the role of a potter. And so God, the potter, has prepared beforehand. And I think this relates to what you know, you know, some of you have already said. You know, he is prepared beforehand to call Gentiles and Jews to become vessels of mercy through faith. This is, you know, this is the point. You know, the point here is to show the idea of a defense for the gospel relates to the sovereignty of God, but it's all part of the plan. That a plan that is from eternity to eternity. And just as Ephesians 1 says, before the foundation of the world, before creation, God already had chosen. God already had determined how, you know, what, what the plan would be and who would, who would be the savior of the world. And so there's this idea of, you know, beforehand, God has called people to become vessels of mercy through faith. And so it starts off, once again, starts off in verse 19, really... You know, with Paul introducing some questions, you know, that uh, perhaps could have been the thinking or, you know, the argument of the Jewish, you know, the Jewish mind based upon what he's just said. You know, if, if God, for example, in verse 18, if he has mercy on whom he did mercy and he has you know, hardened whom he desires, you know, that kind of, he goes back and forth between those two. Well, then he said, well, you might just say this. And so he throws out these, you know, possible, you know, questions. Well, why, why, why is he still finding uh, uh, fault with us then? You know, or, you know, you know, who, who, who could ever resist, you know, what God's plan you know, will? What you think, once again, you say, okay, here's somewhat not only an attack on the character of God, but also it's an attack on the free will that the creator has given, you know, his image bearers. And so, you know, you have verse 20, you know, almost being somewhat of a, I would suggest a bit of a rebuke, not really the answer to those questions, you know, but really somewhat of rebuke. He says, oh man, who answers back to God? You know, once again, you the idea, okay, who are you to be making these kind of accusations? You, the creature, making this accusation to the creator. You, you know, you know, you know the vessel making this kind of accusation against the potter. And, and that's why he says, the thing molded will not say to the molder, why did you make me like this, will it? You know, and he talks about the right of, of the potter. And so I just want to like say, as you look up on the PowerPoint, to emphasize the idea, that which is made, you know, that which has been created does not contend with the creator. You know, and I, think, and I think the point of, the, of the, the potter and clay is to illustrate that. We can understand that particularly from a material aspect. You know, 
you know, the idea, okay, here you've got, you know, clay made into some ceramic vessel. That, that ceramic vessel doesn't then start talking back to, you know, its maker, its potter, and say, well, I don't want to be this kind of vessel. You know, you know why did you make me look, why did you make me look this way? And you, you think about that kind uh, of thinking. And let me just ask you this, you know, is the Holy Spirit really want us to talk about, you know, uh, the art and the craft of ceramic making? Is that the point? Well, of course not. That's not, that's not the point. You know, it's just simply it's almost in, in, in a similar sense of a parable where you've got this story that has a spiritual lesson. And so the point of this illustration is not to talk about what we already know when it comes to ceramics and crafts, but rather you know, to talk about the greater picture of who God is and what God has done and what God makes and creates and so in relationship to mankind, you know, what may be the significance of using the clay analogy, though? You know, why, you can, why clay analogy? Right. We are made of what? We're made of dust. We're made of dirt. In a, sense, so in a sense, we are very much like clay, but our making, we're not just you know, an animate object. When he made us from dirt, he breathed into us life and gave us a soul. He made us in his image. You know, that's God's making. And that's who we are. And so in creation, you think about everything that's made. In creation, God created everything uniquely kind of tied with the idea of what, uh, what John said and what Carrie said. You know, with God's planning and doing throughout time. You know, God created everything uniquely for the purpose he designed for the, you know, for the purpose that he desired. And when we go against that purpose, when we go against that design, you know, then we are transgressing the creator. And so let's say in a, in a broad sense, in a broad sense, for what purpose was man created? This is just, just a general question. Say it louder. To glorify God. Someone may have said something else. Serve God. To serve God. And I think, and that kind of sums it up. I think we can agree with that. Ultimately, as image bearers of our creator, you know, we are here to serve and to glorify the creator, to bring honor to him. And so in so doing, therefore, almost, you know, you see, you know, this kind of question, even coming from a passage in the New Testament, well, how ought men to use this clay body how should we use it for god right you know and particularly as redeemed clay vessels you know you know vessels who have who who were marred by sin but then have been redeemed and cleansed and renewed in a sense remade we are a new creation even more so you know we are not our own and as Paul you know, argues in 1 Corinthians, you know, our bodies have been, in the sense, you know, our, we've been purchased, we've been bought, and so use our bodies to God's glory and not to the flesh. And so we understand that concept uh, of just the greater purpose. But in, in Romans 9, it, it's really, it's really, the focus is more, more so, not so much on the greater purpose, but really on this idea of God choosing to call and save 
sinners a certain way. That's really the main point. You know, God's the potter, the sovereign potter, who you know, can take these vessels of his and he can show mercy to them from the standpoint of remaking them, you know, in the way that he wants them to be serving him. And so man, in that sense, man does not have any right to challenge the righteousness of God's choice or the righteousness of God's action. And so that's why Paul introduces these questions that the Jew may have kind of thought up. And the whole point is to show them that you know, God has chosen how to show mercy. You know, not just to the Jews, but also to the Gentiles as well. And so let's think about this. Think about the nation of Israel. It kind of goes back to something that John was saying. Why did God choose and bring the nation of Israel into being? Why did Israel exist? Because of the promise to Abraham. And that promise to Abraham ultimately went far beyond the, the physical nation of Israel to a greater purpose, a greater sovereign purpose of the point of how God brought them into being to accomplish his purpose. You know, the idea when Carrie said, okay, even when he talked about powers and authorities throughout time and God raising up, you know, these individuals, these vessels for, you know, various purposes in history, you know, and the same thing, you know, the idea God raised up Israel for a very special purpose. And it just, it wasn't just for their own self, their own doing. And so if you think about that, and you go to Jeremiah 18, a, a well-known chapter that also talks about the whole potter analogy. And Jeremiah 18, and it's really the first 12 verses you know, Jeremiah is sent to, you know, a potter's house, you know, and, and basically, okay, you know, and, and he walks in and here's this potter. He's been working on this clay and it, it messed up. And, and so he, he, he read, he starts over and re, redoes that. And God then shows Jeremiah and he says, just as this man could do this with clay, he says, so I can do that. With nations, and particularly in the context of, of Israel or Judah and Jerusalem. And he goes on to the in that passage in that paragraph to say, if you know, if I if I have determined, if I have determined something for this nation, and and they repent, they repent, he goes on to say, I have every right. To show mercy to that nation. And then he flips that and he says, if, if, I, you know, if I have purposed something for a nation and, and that nation turns away from me, he says, I have every right to not show mercy. Every right in a sense that I have hardened them for judgment. They and their free will. And then he applies it specifically to Jerusalem and, and, and Judah in verse 11 and 12. 
And, he, and so he says, so you, Jerusalem and Judah, you know, you need to repent. But then they respond to verse 12, and he says no. So what's, what's, what's the point? Well, the point is, well, God's saying, I'm that potter. You are marred clay. You are a nation that had a, very, that had a purpose, and I told you what that purpose was. You have rejected me. You have turned from me. And yes, you may be of the lineage of uh, Father Abraham, Father Isaac, and Father Jacob, but you have turned from me. You are no longer being a vessel uh, that serves me and glorifies me for the purpose I created you. And so he says, judgment is coming. And so in the days of Jeremiah, what, what nation was God using to discipline his children? Babylon, right. So Babylon is, is coming into the scene here in the lifetime of Jeremiah. Remember, there are three different occasions where Babylon comes and you know, administers you know, God's judgment. And to, at the, finally, at the end, the very last one, finally, Jerusalem is destroyed, the temple is destroyed, you know, and the nation is no more except the remnant that is back in captivity. And so the point is, and all of this is, is to illustrate the idea God chose his course. Give me that long. God chose his course of action. God chose, you know, you know, what he wanted to do. And then he used men in keeping with his chosen plan. He's done that throughout history. And so in Jeremiah 18, it illustrates that, you know, I can, I can shape a nation, you know, and if that nation is marred, you know, and refuses to repent, well, then there's, there, there's a certain action I determined. But if that nation does repent, you know, then there's a certain action I've determined. You know, God, God decides how to administer his mercy, you know, and particularly in regard to Israel and, and Judah, who were all part of this greater plan. They were a vessel for God. Any, any thoughts so far in this section? Okay. The bar. It's God's right to, to, to make the choice, but it doesn't, it doesn't say how he exercises that choice in Romans, but the, the, it, you could get the misconception that it's just arbitrary. Right. And so the verse in Jeremiah tells you that it's our behavior is the way that he exercises that mm -hmm. choice, and so we can choose. Yes. And so I think that potter and clay in Romans is explained really well by the one in Jeremiah because it tells how he exercises his choice. Right. Appreciate that a lot. Yes. And it's so important for us to, to see that, you know, that the argument in Romans is not to say, okay, you know, here is, you know, God is arbitrarily just rejecting Jews or he's arbitrarily, you know, you know, you know choosing this one or that one for vessel without consideration of character and conduct and choices, and 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 he's right. Jeremiah helps us to understand, in a greater context, uh, Tali over here, uh, a greater context of the idea that God's choices are impacted and and guided by the free will of man. And that's why in Jeremiah, if they repent, this is how how I will uh, uh, act. If they don't repent, this is how I will I'll react to that. Sister Tolly. Um, just, I mean, we've covered Romans 3, you know, 26, but 
Of course, it's to his righteousness is shown that he's the just. He's just, mm -hmm. but, and he is able to justify at the same time because he is just. So he uses, used Christ to justify, to justify us, and yeah. so we have to submit to that. We're not going to be perfect. No. That's why Christ is. That's why we have Christ. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah, because God, wa God, wants, God wants us to be vessels of mercy. That's he desires us to be able to extend mercy to us. You know, and, and so to remain just in, in his character and justify at the same time. Therefore, his plan ultimately involved a Messiah. Involved the Christ who would make it possible that marred clay, you know, un unclean clay can be cleansed and remade for God's glory. We're going to have to just move on a little bit, if you don't mind, and just get a little further in our text. When you think about, okay, you know, in the next few verses where you know, God foreordained, you know, once again, to call from, um, uh, from among all men vessels of mercy, mercy for glory. And we've already kind of in, in, in implied that and kind of uh, brought that out, the idea that God chose a family, he chose, you know, through Abraham, Isaac, and God chose a family that, through whom God would provide the Savior. You know, a Savior for the world and a Savior for the world that would be you know, able for all times to cleanse those in faith through the only begotten Son. And so this idea of, of unfolding this plan, unfolding God's purpose of salvation, you know, what it did, it revealed two things. It reveals his mercy and it reveals his wrath. It, it reveals both of that all at the same time, based not just on arbitrariness, but on, on character and conduct. Yeah, and so we see that in how he revealed his, his plan, his purpose at a time and in a manner that he discerned was right and good. And so he talks about that idea of, of you know, Revealing it there, particularly in verse 22, you know, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath, prepared for destruction, and he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy, which he prepared beforehand for glory. And he, and he kind of hones in there in verse 24. How? Well, by calling both from Jews and Gentiles to believe in the Christ, to believe in the one that is their Savior. And so what it is, is divine justice always, go back to what Talia said, the righteousness of God and the justice of God. Divine justice always pours out wrath and mercy at the right time, in the right manner, on the right people. You know, God always does that. And so, and you think about what's already illustrated in the first part uh, uh, of the chapter, this, you know, about Egypt and Israel and going back between those kind of scenes. Through both of them, God revealed his power to vessels of wrath and vessels of mercy. He showed, he showed mercy and wrath in both of those, those illustrations. And you think about even the relationship of the nation of Israel, this unique, special relationship with Israel, well, because God had a plan and he chose how to fulfill that plan. It was not based upon arbitrariness. And it wasn't based upon Israel's exceptionalism. No. You know, it wasn't based upon just their, you know, oh, they're just perfect people. that They're without sin. No, they were, they were a sinful nation that God was using. 
And so God endured. He endured Egypt, but he also endured who else? He endured Israel. You think, you think about the history, and you, you, you know, like I said, you read the Old Testament, and you, you see you know, you know, the nation of Israel. It's not every single person was not an unbeliever, ungodly, rebellious individual. No, there, you know, there was always the few. You know, but overall, the nation it was a disobedient nation, and God endured from the time, you know, I think from the time of, you know, of when you got officially Mount Sinai, now they are a nation, even though that was building, you know, from Abraham, Isaac, through Jacob, from Mount Sinai onward, you know, you think about how God endured so much, you know, did God show mercy to Israel? Yes. But did God, were they also vessels of wrath? Yes, they were both. Why? Why did God do it that way? He did it that way so the richness of his glory could be bestowed upon us as well. That's why. That yet God's mercy could be shown to those in the past, but also God's mercy could be shown to those in the present and God's mercy could be shown to those in the future as long as God allows time to continue. And so, you know, the vessels of mercy, we're going to have to kind of end on, on kind of this thought and we'll hopefully be able to sum, up, sum, sum it up before we get into chapter 10 next week. But the idea, you know, here, here you've got, you know, Jews and Gentiles who believe they're the ones who are going to become the vessels of mercy. And, and just kind of this quick point, and, that, and, and so you think about this unfolding plan and what God endured with Israel, but then, you know, it's a beforehand thing. I think it's, you know, it, that's, those are two very important words. Twice he, he talks about what God beforehand did, you know, how he prepared vessels of mercy and vessels of, of wrath. And so God declared, go back to kind of what, you know, what Alan was saying earlier about, you know, this is not new. God is not suddenly saying something different and going against something. He said, no, God is still true to himself, true to his word, true to his promises. And so here God declared before it ever happened. And so you have, you know, before, you know, these events had already unfolded, God de- decided who is going to be his saved people and so, you know, very quickly, the point here with Hosea and Isaiah is, on the one hand, God promised to make, pe- pe- make people who are not his people, his people. They would become his people, even though they weren't. They were not of Israel, but now they are of a spiritual Israel. And he promised that when he, when he executed his, his will and word, you know, he says, the remnant is what's going to be saved. You know, he never promised that the whole nation is going to be saved. No, it's going to be the remnant that's going to be saved. Why is that? It's going to be those who are going to trust in God and trust in God's word. And if it wasn't because of God's mercy and God's plan, Isaiah again, you know, Israel would have been like Sodom and Gomorrah. But no, God endured you know, so that the richness of his glory could be stowed upon Jews and Gentiles alike. And they could taste of glory one day. Thank you so much for your attention. I mean, it's a lot of material, and I appreciate all the comments that y'all made. Thank you. It's very helpful.